0: Good evening, all you dweebs and dorkwads. Kristen and Rally are back with Season 4, Episode 11 of Demented and Unusual. Tonight, we will be covering Gary Leon Ridgway, also known as the Green River Killer. He was born February 18, 1949. He was convicted of 49 murders,
1: but he confessed to up to 71. They always do that. Yeah. Braggers. So, he was born in Salt Lake City, Utah. He was the middle child born to Mary and Thomas Ridgeway. I love when we find the mother's maiden names. I don't know why. I just find it so satisfying. (laughs) Um, His relatives describe Mary as being domineering. (laughs) And Thomas was a bus driver who often complained about the presence of sex workers. Okay. If that's your only
0: complaint, you're living a pretty good life. Let's be honest. Like,
1: for real. (laughs) Those darn prostitutes. And I mean, what, like, as a public, like, like a public transportation, like, what do yeah. you expect? Like You're driving know. around all day. You're going to see prostitutes. <sighs> okay, so when Gary was young, he witnessed several violent arguments between his parents. The family moved to Washington when he was 11, and he wet the bed until he was 13. Probably from <laughs> that trauma of his violent family. Probably. His mother would wash his genitals every time he went at the bed and would embarrass him in front of the family. He later told his defense psychologist that as a teen, he had conflicting feelings of anger and sexual attraction towards his, his mother. He also fantasized about killing her. <laughs> All right.
0: He suffered from dyslexia and was actually held back a year in high school. His IQ is said to be in the low 80s. Which isn't that bad, but still, like, he's a little on the derp side. (laughs) At the age of 16, Gary stabbed a six-year-old boy. Uh, It said that he led the boy into the woods and stabbed him through the ribs, hitting his liver. The boy survived. Gary and the boy uh, both said that he walked away laughing, saying, I always wondered what it would be like to kill. Apparently you have to keep wondering because you failed. Yeah, this time. But, like, to have that memory as a six-year-old, like, knowing someone walked away and then, like, laughing and saying, oh, yeah, I just wanted to see what it felt like to kill. Like, that would be traumatizing.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you just got stabbed in the liver. This is true. Gary finally
0: graduated high school in 1969. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Uh, He joined the Navy in July of that same year, where he served on board a supply ship, Um, and he actually did see some combat in Vietnam. So, granted, he was only uh, in the military for a short time, he still witnessed combat. While in the military, Gary often had sex with prostitutes, and he ended up contracting contracting. I don't know why I said that so weird. (laughs) He ended up contracting gonorrhea. (laughs) He hired it. He he did. Um, this upset him, but he continued to have sex with prostitutes without protection, so.
1: Fuck. Didn't upset him that much. He probably did that spitefully. I'm sure. He married his 19-year-old girlfriend. <laughs> girlfriend. Claudia <laughs> Craig. In August 1970. The marriage ended within a year. Mm-hmm. Better than Eileen Warnos in her nine-week marriage. It's true. Gary claims that while he was deployed, his wife became involved with another man. When he returned, he filed for divorce. The divorce was finalized on January 14th, 1972. Gary would go on to tell people that his first wife became a, quote, poor while he was overseas. I mean,
0: she was 19.
1: And, like, he basically married her and then just went off to war. Like, come on. I mean, I get it, but that doesn't excuse it.
0: No, but it's not like she was just whoring around with everybody. Like, I think she met one man and fell in love with him.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're also really young to be married. That's true. But at the same time, that wasn't very, like, unheard of at that time. That's true. Especially with the war going on. Yeah. Um, August 1971, Gary started working at Kenworth Truck Factory as a painter. He married again. Um, to a lady named Marcia Winslow in December of 1973. They had a son, Matthew, on September 5th, 1975. And by July 1980, they were separated. And their divorce was finalized on May 27th, 1981.
0: Gary became extremely religious during this marriage. Um, Like, borderline psycho religious. It was weird. He would actually go door to door trying to convert people. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he would also read the Bible out loud Both at work and at home And would frequently cry After sermons or particular Bible readings
1: I've witnessed this in my own life Not the door to door but I was like the... Gary
0: Ridgway came and cried After he read the Bible to you <laughs> no, no 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 Awkward <laughs> <laughs> uh, According to the women in his life Gary had an insatiable sexual appetite, and I don't know why when I read that I thought of Gary the Snail. (laughs) I'm just like, Gary, why? (laughs) Okay, ADHD moment, sorry. Bad noodle. (laughs) He demanded sex several times a day, and would often want to have sex in public, uh, and he also showed an interest
1: in bondage. Sounds like my early years. (laughs) Gary admitted that he had a fixation with sex workers. He had a love-hate relationship with them. He would complain about them and their presence in his neighborhood, but, you know, frequented them regularly. (laughs) I'm sorry, he did what? Frequented them regularly. (laughs) You have to excuse me, y'all. So, during the 80s and 90s, Gary is believed to have murdered at least 71 teenage girls and women. He later told the court that he killed so many that he lost count. The majority of the murders occurred between 1982 and 1984, and most victims were either, you guessed it, sex workers or runaways, with ages ranging from 14 to 38. Wow. He would engage in intercourse with the victims. Go figure. (laughs) If needed, he would show a picture of his son to gain their trust. Gary later told detectives that many of the women asked if he was the Green River killer, to which he replied, nah, I'm not. Do I look like it? <laughs> Pretty much. Like
0: I think everyone was kind of expecting like um like a large man and he's kind of petite. So he's dainty. He is he's a dainty, dainty killer. So, after a few minutes of hitting it from behind, Gary would usually wrap his forearm around their necks and then use the other arm to pull back as tightly as he could. Hmm. So, most of the strangled victims were killed either at his house, in his truck, or in a secluded area. Most were dumped in wooded areas around the Green River. Hey. They said the name. Mm -hmm. Uh, Seattle Tacoma Airport, or other dump sites around King County. There were two suspected victims that were found in Portland. Oregon. Oregon. (laughs) Uh, The bodies were often left in clusters near the Green River in Washington. Some of them were posed, and they were usually naked. So occasionally he would go back to the dump sites and have sex with them again. Gary said that he didn't find necrophilia more satisfying, but that having sex with a deceased victim reduced his need for finding a living victim and thus limited his exposure to
1: being caught. The King County Sheriff's Office formed the Green River Task Force in the early 80s to investigate these murders. Robert Keppel and Dave Reichert were on the task force. They actually interviewed Ted Bundy in 1984. Bundy offered to take offered his take on the case, saying that the killer was revisiting dump sites to have sex with victims and that if if police found a fresh grave, they should stake it out and wait for him to come back. Gary was arrested in 1982 on charges related to prostitution. Starting in 1983, he was a suspect in the Green River Killings. He was interviewed multiple times where he admitted to, quote, dating prostitutes including at least one of the missing victims. He also admitted to assaulting a prostitute, Rebecca Guay, after she bit him. <laughs> <laughs> She's the only known survivor to a, of an attack by Gary. She said, His face looked white, clammy, cold. His arms and everything was cold. He was a totally different person, and he kind of made me think that if he did kill me, since he wasn't interested in me sexually before... He probably would have tried to have intercourse if I was dead.
0: (laughs) You just look like a necrophiliac. (laughs) That's basically (laughs) what she said. In 1984, he actually passed a polygraph test claiming his innocence.
1: Shows how reliable they are. Yeah. April
0: 8th of 1987, a search warrant was executed on Gary's residence, work locker, and several of his vehicles. Detectives seized hundreds of, e- of items of evidence, including carpet fibers, rope, paint samples, plastic tarp, and uh, hair and saliva samples. You were like, paint samples. <laughs> paint. <laughs> they also analyzed his financial records, but nothing linked him to a particular scene or victim. In 1985, Gary started dating Judith Mawson he went on to marry in 1988. He's a serial marrier. (laughs) He is, among other things. He said that uh, I'm sorry, she, Judith, said that when she moved into his house, there was no carpet. Police later told her that it was probably because he had wrapped a body in the carpet. (laughs) (laughs) She also said that Gary would leave early for work some days to pick up extra shifts, but she theorizes that he committed some of the murders during these early mornings. She said she didn't suspect Gary of any crimes before she was contacted by the police in 1987. And to be honest, she didn't even know about the Green River killings because she didn't watch the news.
1: Gary said that while he was with Judith, his kill rate went down and that he truly loved her. Out of the 49 known victims, only three were killed after he married Judith. Judith told reporters, I feel I have saved lives by being his wife and making him happy.
0: Okay. If that's how you have to justify it, I mean.
1: It's how she sleeps at night. Yeah. The hair and saliva samples collected in 1987 were later submitted for DNA testing in 2001. 2001 was like a really big year, dude. Mm-hmm. Because that's when they started doing stuff with with um, Joseph James DeAngelo. Uh, September 2001, Gary's DNA was linked to the vaginal swabs for Marcia Chapman. Pubic hair from Opal Mills matched Gary. Opal must have been a really popular name back then. Opal. Semen found on Carl Christensen's vaginal swab matched Gary. That's not supposed to say Carl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's supposed to say Carol. <laughs> <laughs> that all, Carl's vaginal swab. Oh, you gotta love spell check. (laughs) Uh, On on November 16th, 2001, Gary, being the bright young man he was, attempted to pick up an undercover officer posing as a prostitute. (laughs) He was arrested and released the same day. When he was being interviewed during his booking, Gary asked that they don't contact his wife. Instead, he stated... You can contact the Green River Task Force. They know me real well.
1: You fucking gun.
0: <laughs> on November 30th, 2001, he was arrested on suspicion of murdering four women nearly 20 years ago. The victims named in the original indictment were Marsha Chapman, Opal Mills, <laughs> Carol, <Carl>. Carol <laughs> Christensen, and Cynthia Hines. So while there was no DNA evidence linked to Cynthia, she was found literally a few feet from two of the other victims. So they were like, it has to be the same guy. No, 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 no.
1: Just another man. Yeah. Probably Ted Bundy.
0: (laughs) This looks like a fine
1: place to dump a body. Oh, look, someone had the same idea. Three more victims were added after microscopic paint spheres were linked to the brand used at the Kenworth factory. During the specific time frame, the victims were killed. They were Wendy Caulfield, Deborah Bonner, Deborah Estes, and that's it. (laughs) That is three. (laughs) On November 5th, 2003, Gary pled guilty to 48 charges of aggravated first degree murder as part of a plea bargain. The plea bargain spared him from the death penalty in exchange for his cooperation in locating remains and providing other details. In a statement accompanying the plea, he said that he killed all the victims inside King County and that he transported and dumped two women in Portland to confuse police. This marked the end of the longest and largest serial murder investigation in U.S. history. Prosecution had to present their discovery to the defense team. This included approximately 400,000 pages of documents, 15,000 photographs, 500 audio tapes, and 170 videotapes. That's a lot of evidence. Dude, like, God. Honestly, though, I feel like they should not do plea bargains, like, in situations like this. I,
0: I was reading, like, a news article with, um, it was one of the victim's families. And they were like, well, how do you feel about the plea bargain? And they said, honestly... Like, there are more families out there like me that don't know what happened to their kids. And if he hadn't taken the plea bargain, they would have never known. So in that sense, like, I kind of get it. But still, like... I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. But, on the plus side, if they find another victim that he hasn't confessed to, they can try him for that victim and put him to death. So that's like part of the, I guess, loophole of the plea deal or whatever. Hmm. On December 18th, 2003, Judge Richard Jones sentenced Gary to 48 life sentences with no possibility of parole, one life sentence, oh, and one life sentence to be served consecutively. He also sentenced, sentenced him to an additional 10 years per victim for tampering with evidence, which added 480 years to his 48 life sentences. All right. Because let's just pour salt on the wound. (laughs) Over a period of five months of police and prosecutor interviews, Gary confessed to the 48 murders. 42 of those were already on the police's list of probable Green River victims. In interviews, Gary gave various reasons of why he killed. He said that he hadn't planned on killing any of the victims, but certain things pushed him to it. So he claimed to kill in a rage when something about the encounters provoked him, such as the woman not orgasming with sufficient enthusiasm or the woman trying to hurry him. No. Um, He attributed his anger to a variety of causes, such as work where women used manipulation to get easier jobs. What also angered him was that all the light bulbs were removed from his house before he purchased it. (laughs) Other reasons include his divorces, poor sleep, and failure to, quote, stick up for himself. I would be mad about the light bulb thing, honestly. It's just, yeah, I would too. It's like a petty reason. Yeah. But I would be super mad. But I wouldn't, like, go out and kill a bunch of hookers. Or
1: would I? He later acknowledged that many of these claims were false. Mm -hmm. Hashtag fake news. (laughs) Gary said about his victims, they don't mean anything to me, and once I've killed them, I didn't keep it in memory. I just knew Where, where I dumped them. I just knew where I dumped them. And the women's faces don't mean anything to me. If they had a pussy, I would screw it, and that was it. Oh, my. All right. Gary, watch your language. Grab him by the pussy. Oh, Trump's going to see you. On February 9th, 2004, county prosecutors started releasing videotape records of Gary's confession. (laughs) (laughs) Confession. In one interview, he told investigators that he was responsible for the deaths of 65 women. In another interview with Reichert on December 31st, 2003, Gary claimed he murdered 71 victims. He also confessed to having sex with them before killing them. This detail was not revealed until after sentencing. Gary said he targeted prostitutes because they were, quote, easy to pick up and that he, quote, hated most of them. He admitted to having sex with the victims after he murdered them, but claimed he began burying them burying later victims so he could resist the urge to commit necrophilia. Gary later said that murdering young women was his career. Wow. Right? Originally, Gary was being held in a maximum security cell at King County Jail. In August 2003, he was moved to a minimum security facility. In January 2004, he was placed in solitary confinement at Washington State Penitentiary. He was allowed to leave his cell one hour a day, four days a week. I would go crazy. Maybe that's what they wanted going to do. Oh, yeah. May 14, 2015,
0: he was transferred to the USP Florence High Security Federal Prison in Colorado. But in September of that same year, it was announced that he'd be transferred back to Washington to be easily accessible for open murder investigations. So on October 24th, he arrived back at Washington State Penitentiary Penitentiary. on a private jet. Wow. Yeah. In 2004, artist Phil Hansen created artwork of Gary Ridgway's face. It was composed of 11,792 portraits of his 48 known victims. Holy shit, balls! If y'all Google that, Google Phil Hansen, Gary Ridgway, it's amazing. Like, it's so creepy to look at. Um, if y'all are interested in learning more about Gary Ridgway, there's some uh, media things that we have here. Uh, season 8, episode 15 of Unsolved Mysteries was released in 1996. There was a Green River Killer segment, which actually focused on the long t- longtime suspect, William Stevens.
1: I think I've seen that.
0: Um it interviewed the living members of his family. Living members of his, yeah Living the, family members. Yes, thank you. Um but Stevens died of pancreatic cancer in nineteen ninety one, which kind of uh threw him out as a suspect.
1: <laughs> Who the bleep did I marry from twenty ten features his third wife's side of the story. The River Man movie, which was released in 2004, is based on the true story of Ted Bundy helping investigators with the Green River Killer profile. Investigation Discovery had a two-hour special, The Green River Killer, Mind of a Monster, which aired February 17, 2020. I think I saw that.
0: I'm pretty sure that's the one I saw. And then more recently, November fourth, twenty 2021... Netflix released Catching Killers, um, and they had an episode about the Green River case. Fun fact. Fun fact. When Gary took women to his house, he always encouraged them to use the bathroom before they had sex. He knew from experience that victims of strangulation frequently became incontinent. He was quoted saying, I didn't want them to shit in the bed, so that was the main reason.
1: That's fucking great. In case you don't know what incontinent means, it means when you can't hold your pee or your poop. Yep. In February 1984, Gary wrote a letter to the Seattle Post Intelligencer titled, What You Need to Know About the Green River Man. He did this to throw off the task force. The letter contained a lot of references to the killings and a lot of falsehoods. The letter suggested that the killer was a traveling salesman or a long-distance trucker, it also said that the killings were motivated by profit or revenge. You could Google image search for the letter. It's pretty interesting.
0: <laughs> Stop. All right. That's all we got, guys. That is Gary Ridgway,
1: the Green River Killer. And with that, I shall say... Toodles. Stay creepy.